It was uh, sometime before 2010. Lived in Knoxville, and they had the Festival of Trees every year at the convention center. They charged money to get in different um, different uh, churches and organizations would decorate Christmas trees and set them up and then people would pay a fee to come in and they would come and they would buy the Christmas trees and, and uh, all the money would go to benefit the East Tennessee Children's Hospital. And so it was a big event in Knoxville that went on and people would bid astronomical amounts on some of these trees going. But it was at that event that I first saw an upside-down Christmas tree. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an upside-down Christmas tree. That's the only time I have ever seen one. But um, I personally don't care for it. <laughs> but, you know... Who knows in the future, you may find one in my house. I don't know. Things change. But I don't care for it. But, you know, you think that's something new, but it goes all the way back to the 7th century uh, when they first started doing that. And in the 1800s, even in America, I understand that there were a lot of people that did upside-down Christmas trees because their houses were so small and it gave them more room. So, you know, down at the bottom, they had still had room to put the packages. And in modern times, they say, you know, it helps with all the ornaments you put on. You can see the ornaments a lot better. And so, I don't know if that'll ever catch on very much. I haven't really seen anybody that had an upside-down Christmas tree. But it is, it is something that is out there. You know, there are a lot of things that are upside down. How many of you like pineapple upside down cake? I do. And uh, I heard somebody the other day talking about making a pineapple ups or a, a apple upside down cake. And so, you know, some things are upside down. I heard about an athlete, David Pollock, that played defensive end for the University of Georgia back in 2005. He was 6'2", he wanted to be taller so he could be a better football player, and he slept upside down. He said it didn't work. So a lot of things, you know, people do, and, and they say, you know, this makes it better by turning it upside down. Of course, some things are really bad when they're turned upside down. Who hasn't turned over a plate of spaghetti? Upside down spaghetti is not good. But not everything that's upside down is bad. Last week, on Thursday, the date was 12-02-2021. Now, if you, if you look at that, you don't see anything real significant about it. But if you turn it upside down, it says the same thing. 12-02-2021. And there's actually a name for that. Uh, it's called a, a palindrome when something reads the same way frontward as it does backwards. An ambi ambigram when it reads the same way uh, upside down as it does right side up. So, a lot of things are upside down. Webster defines the word upside down 
in such a way that the upper and the lower parts are revised in position. Or a second definition is to into great disorder. And they give an example. Turn their world upside down. All of us have had experience with things being upside down. We've, we've all made mistakes in our life, and, and often we refer, my life is upside down. We're starting a new series today called Upside Down Christmas. Upside down is not always bad. When you think about what God did, he turned things upside down when he sent his son Jesus into the world. And today we begin to think about that as we go through our Christmas series called Upside Down Christmas. Does it seem upside down that God came from heaven to earth? I don't know if you've thought about that. In the book of Matthew, we have the Christmas story. Now, this is not our text for today, but I did want to go through and just remind you of how this whole thing came about. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her Quietly. Now, in that day, if you were pledged to be married or engaged, that was sort of a contract between you and, and the woman. And if something happened, you had to write a certificate of divorce. Verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary at home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill, it says, what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah seven fourteen: The virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had told him to do, and he went ahead and married Mary. Seems odd. It just seems odd to me that God would come down to earth in human form. I mean, he's already God. He's in heaven. Why did he come down in the form of a little baby? Yeah, I could understand if he sent... Maybe an angel down here, powerful, bright lights shining, and he came down to do what he wanted to do. Or if he just came himself. You know, I don't know what he would look like, but if he just came down here, you know, maybe that grandfather figure we think about with a big white beard and, and a big staff or something. It seems a little upside down that God would make himself a baby and come down to earth. Let's go today to Philippians chapter 2 and think through a little bit what the Bible has to say about Jesus coming from heaven to earth. Of course, the letter to the Philippians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, 
Philippi was a Roman colony. It was an important city in Macedonia. Uh, had a major road going through it called the Ignatian Highway. It made it a, a popular place. It was a place of uh, a prosperity and, and, and a political center. And there was a church that started there. You may remember Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, was part of that church. And a Philippian jailer that had attended to Paul when he got thrown in jail there. In chapter 4, Paul thanks the Philippians because they had been very generous to support his ministry monetarily and, and that's sort of part of the reason why he wrote this letter. But in this letter, here in chapter 2, he gives us what we believe to be an ancient hymn that maybe was sung in the early church. And there's some doctrinal stuff in here that really helps us come to understand about Jesus coming to earth. Read with me Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now let's stop right there. I want to look at verse 6. We'll come back to verse 5. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Think about this for a minute. Jesus is God who became man. He's been called throughout history the God-man. Several verses in the Bible point to this. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God, the Word, who was God, came to earth, became flesh. He became a man. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And then this passage, all tell us God became a man. That seems upside down, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't it seem better if we said this man became a god? But rather, God became a man. So when Jesus claimed to be God's son, that was something different. In the Hebrew culture, back in the first century, of course, Jesus was born Jewish, Hebrew, the son was just the extension of the father. The son said something, it was just as though the father had said it. In John chapter 10, Jesus has a discussion with some of the Jewish officials. And in his teaching there, he calls God his father. Not once, but several times. John chapter 10 verse 30 Jesus says, I and the Father am one. 
Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered, It is not written in your law. I have said, You are gods. And if they called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent to the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You see what Jesus is saying? I am God's son. I am God in the flesh come down to earth. That does seem kind of upside down. I love the song we sing sometimes at Christmas, Mary, Did You Know? There's a line in that song where it says, And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. This Jesus, this Jesus, this little baby, came down to earth, God in the flesh. You know, most of mankind looks for what we can get. But God said, look at what I'm going to give. I'm going to give you myself. God became a man because he wanted to give you what you could not give yourself. And Jesus did not feel he had to retain the status of God. It says here in verse 6, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say something to be grasped, something that he had to hold on to. But here's why. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. You see, think about this. Jesus is the Lord who became servant. You, know, you go all the way back in the New Testament, all the way to chapter 2, uh, the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Second chapter of the Bible, God is called Lord. It's used throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. Depending on the translation you look at, uh, the NIV Bible, some over 6,700 times God is called Lord or Jesus is called Lord. And when you think about God, you think about the highest form of existence. Nothing can be higher than God. Yet this text says he made himself nothing. Or the word can mean he emptied himself, his Gave up his divine status, his rights as creator, his prestige, his power. He even gave up his self-sufficiency and put himself into the body of this little tiny baby who had to depend on human parents. He lowered himself to the status of a human. 
even more, he grew up, became an adult to serve others. While he was Lord of all, he humbled himself to do what was needed for mankind. Maxie Dunham in the Communicator's Bible Commentary writes this, He did empty himself, though of the glories of heaven, of the prerogatives of being divine, he emptied himself of rank and privilege and rights. The Lord became a servant. More clearly than any place in the Scripture, the shape of the incarnation is described here in this passage. Humiliation, weakness, and obedience. They all come together here as we read and think about this passage. You think about it. Jesus had no home. He had no income, no wife, no natural-born children, no property. And he served people. He often walked great distance to help people. He worked tirelessly ministering and preaching and teaching and healing for whole days sometimes, on up into the evening. At the Passover feast that he had with his apostles, he took on the role of a servant there, humbled himself and washed their feet as was the culture of that day. Jesus even said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And he said to his apostles, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Jesus was all about servanthood. That was one of the main themes of his life. And he called his followers, us, to be servants to other people as well. And he did the ultimate act of servanthood when he submitted himself to the Roman leaders and was taken by the Roman authorities and crucified. That brings us to verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that brings us to the third thing I want you to think about. Jesus is the giver of life who willingly died. We read Hebrews 12, 2. It says, God made the universe through Jesus. God made this universe through the Word made flesh. Yet Jesus willingly went to the cross. He willingly became a sacrifice for all who would believe. It was God's plan all along. It's prophesied back in Scripture that he would die. But he did it to bring forgiveness of sins once for all. He's willing to die in our place. No longer, as in the days of Judaism, does man have to make a sacrifice for the sins that they have made. Jesus was the sacrifice once for all. No longer would we have to go to the altar and, and place our gift on that altar and, and sacrifice something to find forgiveness of sin. He was it. And then think about these last few verses of this passage. Verse 9, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name 
that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's our connection. It seems upside down, but the one willing to become nothing became everything to lead us to something. Jesus is God who became man. Jesus is Lord who became servant. Jesus is giver of life who willingly died. God did what seems upside down. He sent his son down to earth. Jesus gave up all the glories of heaven and came to this mixed up, already upside down crazy world. But he did it out of love and obedience to God and love for people, love for God's creation. This passage we read began at verse 5, which I said we'd come back to. It says, in your relationships with one another, have a main same mindset as Christ Jesus. It calls us to think like Jesus. What better time of year to do that? And we see what God gave in sending His Son, and we think about how we can show the same kind of love to others who are around us. See, we're called to think like Christ. And maybe the world would say, well, that's upside down. Get what you can get for yourself. But God leads us, and we're called to follow this God who we can't see, who may call us to do what we would never do on our own, and to be what we would never be. But in the end, the result will be something that you could never imagine. You know, there's a movie some years ago called The Poseidon Adventure. It's about a a cruise liner out on the ocean that gets in a big storm, and that ship is turned upside down in the storm. And it's a movie about death and about survival. And in the confusion of being in that ship and being turned upside down, There are people that search for the stairways because they think that's the way out. And so they're climbing these stairways, but they're going to the upper deck, which is now the bottom, a hundred feet submerged down in the ocean. And they end up drowning. But there are a few people on that boat that realize it's upside down, and so they go to the hull of the ship which is above water because there are air pockets causing it to float. And there are rescuers that come and they cut holes in that hole and are able to save a few people. You know, when life seems upside down, it's good to know that we have a Savior who's been through upside down, who came down to earth, yet died and yet rose victorious. And that's why his birth is so important. He came down to earth in the form of a man to show us the way to be saved. 
It may seem upside down, but that's the way God chose. And so we celebrate Christmas and Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your son Jesus who gave it all up, Lord. He stepped out of heaven, the glorious place. He had everything he could imagine, but he did it for love because he wanted to save us, to bring forgiveness for our sins that we too might one day experience heaven. Seems upside down. Lord, it's the way you chose to do it. And you call us to a faith in this tiny baby who grew up to be our Savior. And so today we begin the Christmas season and celebrate the life of Jesus. In his name we pray and praise. Amen.